Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Gun Show. Today, I have the special privilege to speak with a friend of mine. I will make the introduction in a way that you guys may know him even before knowing him. And those of you who do know him, well, then you know how awesome he is. So, you know, the uh, trending videos on social media of, oh, I don't know, the Incredible Hulk and the Mandalorian helmet and the thinking man, and the brains that are behind the power of creating all of these really, really cool parts on Yazda machines and method machines. Yeah, that's the guy. This is the gun show. Cody Berg. Yes, sir, guys. Yes, ma'am, ladies. I have Cody Berg here with me today of Methods Machine Tools, and he has quite a few stories to tell, so I think you'll be entertained just as I am. Uh, so Cody, thank you so much for being here on the gun show. I appreciate you spending your time with us. Thanks for having me again, man. I appreciate it. Well, yeah, it's absolutely a pleasure. Um, you and I have gotten to know each other a little bit better, uh, over the few weeks and we've known each other via social media for quite a while. Thanks to those incredible parts <laughs> that you've made and, and my deep nerdiness for all things Marvel and all things Star Wars. So Thank you for entertaining my nerdiness as well. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> so, Cody, tell us a little bit about you, who you are, how you got in the industry. I know you have some fascinating stories, even before, you know, falling into the, the great uh, Methods Machine family you're, you're with now. But, but even before that, maybe even start as a kid, were you, were you the guy that was uh, in the garage just playing with things all the time? Or, or did you mean to be in this industry? Who are you? <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, I was I always tinkered, uh, messed with you know, ripped things apart and opened them up. Uh, my my father actually he owned a shop. I was young, I was I don't know, six, seven, eight years old, and when we were sick, couldn't go to school, we went to the shop with dad. That was kind of the thing. So I'd always got to tinker around uh, CNC machines or just kind of walk through his shop, mess with things, and that's I fell in love with it and wanted to do it at a very very young age. And when I turned sixteen, he came home one day and gave me a resume. Um, at that point, he already sold his company. And he's like, fill it out. He goes, fill this out. He goes, then, you know, here's all this. And you'll start, you'll start on the weekends and I'll, and I'll train you. And he goes, you're wasting your Friday nights, your Saturday mornings and Sunday mornings. And if you want to do this the rest of your life, it's up to you. But at least you have something you can always fall back on. He goes, it's a career that's always going to be there. So whether or not you want to pursue it or not, it's there. It's, it's just a, you know, a backup plan was, was his thought process on it. Um, he took me and my older brother uh, for my first year, it was weekends, Friday night, Saturday morning at four in the morning and Sunday morning at four in the morning, we worked for about eight hours. And then I think my junior year in high school, I went uh, part time at, on nights, did that for two years. That's when my brother left. He's like, Hey, this isn't for me. He's a, uh, he's a network guy. So he's, he's not into hand working on stuff. So he left. Um, I went to day shift. Uh, and before I knew it, I was running the plastic department. And then I was like, well, I want to learn more went to schooling for how to, how to use master cam. Uh, I was lucky in high school. We, they taught SOLIDWORKS. I, I learned SOLIDWORKS in high school and just kind of brought that on with everything else I was doing and then started programming. I, I joined uh, a company. They had a RPM division, which was rapid prototype machining. A customer would send us a print and we'd have a data quoted and then three days to get a part cut and all back on their dock. So it was very fast paced. You had to hold a 98% um, on-time delivery with it to, to kind of stay on that. And uh, 
I, I joined that as a machinist, then I went to programming and then I ended up running it for two or three years. And once that all, once I kind of got that and then that just became like the norm and I was used to it, I wanted to, to move on to the next step. And I jumped, jumped, jumped to a company, started programming for him, took over the management position, uh, left that, did my own shop for, for a few years, had a fallen out with a business partner. And that's when I went, you know what? I'm not the job shop guy. I don't, I don't like going out and finding the work. I just like, you tell me what you want to cut. I'll cut it kind of thing. Um, so went back to programming, ended up going from programming to running a building. And then that's kind of where I fell into methods. And I fell in love with methods because it's like a, Hey, we want to cut something cool. And it was like, well, that's fun. You know? And everyone thinks it's easy. You know, Oh, it's the Hulk. You just got to cut. It's, it's easy. Cause it's, it's a, it's a thing you're cutting, but everything that goes around with it is how do I get into those, the veins or how do I get into that? I mean, the hard part is how do I cut this and make it look nice where it's not so 2d or, you know, it's just straight five axis swerf cut and stuff like that. It's a lot of thinking outside the box and I, I enjoy it for some reason. I have a lot of fun with it. Well, I can see why you enjoy it. And as being a part of everybody, I don't think it looks easy at all. <laughs> also one hell of a backup plan that you're continuing to pursue from 16 years yeah. old yeah he uh it, he, he did that with all all my siblings was like hey it's a plan you know because and he's not wrong i mean this industry will always be there there will always be a, a manufacturing somewhere so it's always a if you want to be a teacher my brother's now the uh network engineer for PetSmart. he does the whole nation for PetSmart, and it's if something ever happened he has a fallback he can go and press a button you know Sure, he's not going to make what he's making now, but he has that ability to be able to do something. Yeah, absolutely. I'm also starting to realize uh, why you're so much smarter than I am. And I think back to when I was 16 and I was lifeguarding, chasing girls at a pool, jumping off of diving boards, and you were learning how to program machines. So you got a heck of a head start on me. Yeah, I, uh, I, I was in two hours a day in, in high school in drafting class. I've always been into it. And and I did, I sacrificed my weekends to, to learn it. And, it. and it sucked being 16, not going to your high school parties and all that. It, uh, it definitely sucked, but I would not be where I'm at if I didn't do it. So it, it was a huge, huge advantage now. Very, very crappy back then. Worth the sacrifice? Absolutely. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. So it's obvious to me and probably everyone who's listening that you're a pretty well-spoken dude. Um, and I know, and others might not, but you actually host your own podcast as well, right? Can you want to tell us a little bit about that? I do. Uh, two years ago, my wife and I uh, just got a bug. We wanted to start a podcast. So we started After the Vows. We talked about our lives after being married and then having kids. Um, it kind of just, it, it was initially just something fun to talk about. And then it turned into almost our therapy because we don't get to talk a lot. We have two kids now and I work and she works. She's a dance director at a high school. So we, you know, by the time our day ends, it's just hey, love you. Goodbye. Go to bed kind of thing. And then I wake up at four in the morning, you know, so it became our therapy. It was our one time a week to kind of talk and hash things out. And we have arguments on there. We, you know, talk about our week, whatever it might be. And it, it actually, we, we felt like it brought us closer together. And uh, apparently so did a lot of other people. Cause then we had people writing in asking questions or like, Hey, I have this in my life. What do you, what do you recommend for this? And um we really enjoy it. We had to put a pause on it for a little bit just because of uh, the COVID and with my wife trying to figure out how to teach online and in person. And then um, she finished her master's as well. And then we also had my uh, my daughter, Charlotte, seven months ago. So it was a very, very uh, rough year. But uh, we're opening or starting it in three weeks again, I believe. 
I got I to gotta say, that sounds super interesting, Cody. And the reason, so what's going through my head and probably the audience listening right now as well is you're waking up at, you know, four in the morning, going to work, you know, she's doing her thing. You're not talking a whole lot. So I would imagine at least how my head is playing this out is you get this one time to talk a week and who knows what you want to either get off your chest in a good way or, or a bad way yeah. that could be incredibly entertaining for the listeners. Yeah. There, there's been a few, a uh, few episodes uh, where we're, we're, we're family. We call it the family. So it's, we, we bleep out the cuss words and stuff like that. Um, when it, when they do slip, right. It slips every now and then. And there was one we I, I, I saw it and I decided to push that button a little bit and she gave me a look and it was just like, you deet, 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 deet. And I was just like, she's like, I don't even care how much I got to edit this. She goes, we're hashing this out today. And we had a blast with it though, you know, but when we don't get mad at each other, we're the nice part about our relationship is we both we're all, we're, all, we're our own people. So it's, she can do her thing. I can do my thing. And, and there's never an issue with it. You know, we, we mesh really well. So when that podcast comes, she might be mad at me and people are like, Oh, you know, you're what you said was rude, but she knows that we're, we're talking, right. She's not taking anything to heart. I'm not taking anything to heart. Um, and for the most part, after the pocket, we feel great. And there's no, there's no, like, I can't believe you said that I'm gonna have to cut all this out. It's, it's just like, Oh, that's going to be an entertaining podcast. You know, I'd really like to amplify that and use it in a lot of our lives on a regular basis. Imagine if we could all have genuine discussions on perspectives and ideas and come together afterwards and go, hey, man, thanks for thanks for bringing that up. I didn't realize that side of things. It really helped me. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we have we're completely two different people when it comes to most of everything. Um, she's a Democrat. I'm a Republican. And but we we listen and learn and we take each other's advice and all that stuff. It's it's awesome. Yeah, we need that balance in our life. If, I, I really hope that in time, more of us can allow ourselves a moment of uh, talking with someone with an opposite perspective, just so we can listen and learn. And we don't have to agree, but we can darn sure listen and learn, I think. And that's what it is. No, everyone's quick to respond and not actually hearing what's being said. And and I in my in my years in machine shop, I've had a lot of awesome people like teach me things. And, and the one thing they always say is just, don't respond, just listen. And then take five minutes to figure out how to respond. They're like, don't think about your response while they're talking because then you're not paying attention to half the things they're saying. Isn't that the truth? And what, what's that uh, cliche statement as well? Two ears, one mouth? <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to talk a little bit on my nerd side of things, if you don't mind. Um, where does the creativity come from for these parts that you've done? And do you want to offer maybe some foreshadowing for what might be coming in the future that you're going to create? Because honestly, I'm, I know I'm not the only one based on me sharing some of your videos and seeing how quickly it trends. I know I'm not the only one that loves this stuff. So let's talk a little bit more about that creativity, the inspiration there. Are you also a, a Marvel and Star Wars nerd or is that just me? And, and what's coming next? Yeah, no, I'm I'm a huge Marvel nerd. Uh, Star Wars. I I grew up watching Star Wars. My uh, my uncle, and my father were huge Star Wars nerds. So we grew up as kids watching all the Star Wars uh, movies. But no, uh, I I when I first started at uh, Methods, man, they they threw the Mandalorian hel helmet at me, and they're like, "Hey, is this something you can do?" I was like, "Yeah, yeah, sure, <laughs> like, of course." So I started programming that, and then it was that was such a big hit, and it, and, it, and everyone was happy with it. It was, "Hey, we got the Thinking Man. Can let's do the Thinking Man." Then I did the thinking man, the Hulk. I helped out. We have another apps guy here that I helped out, uh, kind of just five axis tool basket, you know, kind of clean it up a little bit. Um, but the, 
the thought process. We have a team, uh, Matt, Matt Myers leads the team and we just get together once a week and kind of talk about different ideas. And then we just make a list of like, Hey, we want to cut this on a Yazda. We want to cut this on an OKK, this on a Kiwa. Um, or then someone will send us a message like, Hey, I really want to cut. I got a guy who wants to cut Super Mario on a, on a robo drill. So yeah, Super Mario doing the whole, you know, his, his little jump and we're hopefully going to be cutting that this year. He's uh, a dye mold guy. So he wants to also do a kind of a cool, uh, a mold that he'll, he'll be doing. Uh, I have the black Panther helmet coming out on a PX 30. I we're going to team up with master cam on that again. Um, that's going to be cool. We're hoping to life size that helmet, get it anodized black and then engrave some silver through it. It should be, it should really pop. It should look nice. Um, I hope you hollow it out so I can wear it. Right. I, I believe me, I want to, that, that was my plan for the Mandalorian helmet. Um, we're, uh, we're hoping to do Thor's hammer. That's, that's next on my list to do on our methods brand machine. Um, we were just talking about doing the Chicago bean. We're thinking about doing one of those. Um, so yeah, we, I mean, I have a list. There's probably a hundred, hundred and some demo list on there. We just kind of all pick and choose where we want. And the problem is you have that list that you keep adding to. So that list just keeps longer and longer and longer, but it, we have a team and everyone just opens up, talks about it. And if we don't think it's the right way to go or something like that, then we say why maybe we'll put it on the back burner. So we kind of have like a back burner list too. It's like about 50 or 60 parts wide. So there's, there's never a uh, what are we going to do kind of demo thing. We just pull from a list if you want to. And, and something I want to bring up as well is, is I don't know if there's a lot of confusion out there with, uh, you know, some people go, oh, well, that's creative. But can I make a so-and-so or, you know, how fast can the machine run for actual parts, whether it be, you know, for medical industry or aerospace industry or whatever it might be. Right. Um, they go, well, that's you know, that's cool. But I want to know more about the machine kind of thing. When I walk through trade shows. I see some of the coolest parts that people have made and I won't, you know, go on the list of all the really neat things that I've seen. But when I see those really neat parts, I know what the machine is capable of. If I can make something like an incredible Hulk, I know that I can make a bone spur for a hip. You know, it's, it's while one might be a little more complicated than the other. And I won't say which is which of you're saying if I can make this, I can definitely make this as well. And and that yeah. to me is really cool. And people want to see that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then that's what we're trying to, we're, we, you know, as a company, we're learning that, yeah, the machines can do it, but how, like everyone sees the same. If I, if I do it, like you said, a, a bone, a bone mold or something, the guy down the street has the bone mold. The, the guy over there has the bone, you know, so that, so the, the Hulk, the Mandalorian, the think man, it gets their attention, right? Now that you're in here, hey, let's talk about what kind of tier machine you want to talk about. We have we have the Yazda at our top. You know, we go all the way down. So then it just kind of what's priced where you want. And all the machines, let's be honest, can do what the other machine does, right? Some are going to be a little bit better than the others for the most part. But the the Hulk, the Mandalorian, it's doing all that same five-axis rotations and all that stuff to show you, yeah, the machine can do all that. Now, when it comes to precision – we do have other demos that are like, let me pop a hole in here, here to rotate and show you the precision and all that. We have those demos, but so does Joe Schmo down the street. So does mom and pop up the street, you know? So we want to do something different to kind of get your attention and, and know that, Hey, we have a team behind us because it's not just me. I got a whole team you know, that helps kind of produce all this stuff. Yeah. Fantastic team as well. So segueing into that. Um, in just a second, you mentioned Matt Myers, and I think we should give him a shout out. I think he's an amazing person and a great, great addition to the methods team. Uh, but moving into methods themselves and your, and your team, let's talk a little bit about that. You're based in Phoenix, Arizona or Tempe, Arizona, right around that area. Um, 
And I imagine a lot of people, especially in the U.S., know the Methods Machine family, but maybe some of our international audience does not. So let's talk a little bit about um, your local territory in Arizona, who you support, the area, um, who can, who, which areas can reach out to you. And uh, let's talk a little bit about your product line and who Methods is for someone that's in our global audience that might not be quite as familiar. Okay. So I, I run, I'm in Arizona, but I, I work for Boston, which is our corporate, um, where our corporate is, uh, yeah, I can't even talk, where our corporate is. Um, I, I run their national machining team. So my applications team, we are the team that if Chicago needs us or Michigan or California, whoever needs us, they have a pool that they can yank from the, our skilled guys, like whether it's die mold or lathe or EDM, whatever it is, they grab from my team and we can send that support their way, whether it's training or demos or, Hey, we're just having issues with this machine. I can't figure out a programming issue. So my team's kind of the go-to wherever you need us in the nation. That's where my team goes. And then every, every division has their own applications team as well. And those guys, I'm not saying are, any worse or any better than my team. My team is just willing to travel. That's literally the only difference. We're willing to travel. I'm willing to go from Arizona to Maine if I have to. My guy in Michigan, well, you know, he'll come to California. It doesn't matter. That's that's the only difference is we're the guys that will go wherever you need us, not just where Arizona is, you know, Colorado, New Mexico. We kind of stay in stay in the general area. Um, California has, has their two guys, and they go California and Nevada, I want to say. So every – Every division has their applications team. Every division has their service team. Every division has their own sales team. Um, and their GMs, obviously. So we're, we pretty much can hit. And if we're not in that state, we have um, our sister companies that are in that state that use us when, you know, when we need to. I've been in Texas to kind of help, help out um, some of our family members and stuff out there. So it works out well. And the, I have yet to go into a facility and none of the guys be super welcoming. I mean, everyone on the team is amazing, actually. Yeah, <clears throat> my personal experience on that would mimic or mirror exactly that. And uh, and I've known methods, uh, shoot, I don't know, maybe seven, eight years now. Um, I was there when San Leandro first opened their office and we cut the ribbon and drank out of the big sake cup. Nice. Uh, been, been down to Anaheim a few times, you know, been over to Sudbury for Metal Storm a bunch of times. I've known people like James Shortway since almost since as long as I've been doing any sort of sales. Um, and, and something that I notice always repeats itself and it's the quality and the character of the people. So uh, I, I noticed that you've used the term family quite a few times and it really is that kind of relationship within the methods team, isn't it? Yeah. When I, when I first started here, man, it was instant. I mean, there was no grudges. It was pull me right in. I mean, I, I had emails and Zoom calls and like everyone kind of met. And then when I flew to Boston for the first time, never been there. And you, I would have never known. Like everyone is like started talking to you like, oh, yeah. and it was just like, I never, I've never actually met you. Just Zoom calls. You know, it, it was insane how, how smooth everything was the transaction, the, the entire team and family. I mean, it's great. It's, it's, it's an amazing team. Well, let's talk a little bit, Cody, if you don't mind, about the machines. And we can't go, well, we could. We could be here all day if you wanted to. And people, I'm sure, would listen to you uh, because of all the, all the wisdom that comes out of your mouth. Uh, but let's, let's go through the line of uh, machines and services that methods offer. Um, there are definitely some people that we had. We definitely have some listeners that will be curious to know a bit more about, okay, well, I've heard of a Yazda, but what can I do with it? And why would I buy or look into that one over 
you know, going into a Nakamura, which that's an easy one, you know, kind of like a five axis or a mill versus a lathe kind of a thing. But um, obviously there's different tiers and reasons to invest into your really great uh, portfolio of machines at Method. So uh, maybe just a couple of minutes on each machine, talk about maybe its its main highlights and kind of run through um, for the audience that would like to learn a little bit more. So I'll start, I kind of start at what I can see out my window. So we have the RoboDrill, which everyone knows Fanuc RoboDrill. It's, it's a fast 24K with the advance. Um, I have yet to run a machine that is faster, rapid tool change, all the above. It holds tolerances, it cuts, and they are workhorses, man. I've, I've never seen, I know one that's 20 years old and it's still, still moving, still humping along like, like no, no issues. They barely break down. The DDR, the five axis DDRs on them are one of the fastest rotaries on any machine I've ever seen to the point where I've done setups and I won't even watch it run at hundred percent because it's so scary. I know it won't crash, but it's like, yeah, okay. I'm just, I'm going to turn my head. I'm going to turn my head here and just let it kind of go. Um, the, so that's robo drill just quick 24 K uh, you have your short, medium, long beds. Great for gun industry, uh, aerospace industry. I've seen it on mold, mold, uh, mold making. They're just well-versed, awesome little machines. Super small, you can fit them almost anywhere. Um, depending on your envelope, they'll be the machine, the the first machine uh, choice for most people. And if I may just interject real quickly before we move on, two things that uh, I think from my story of life, uh, I've been into a building where they have one five, 15,000 robo drills just lined up beside each other because. The cool thing about the footprint is you can work on them from the back and you don't need to really be on either of the sides. So you can line them up right beside each other. And I've been into another building with five zero fifty thousand robo drills. And I recently saw the major push of people, including myself, miseducation on how rigid a 30 taper big plus can be watching it really plow through steel. So I just wanted to interject and add that in before we move on to some of the other machines. Yeah, they, they're, they're little workhorses, man. And, and people, they, they never, they look at it and they're like, oh, I can't cut that. And you're like, hit the button, watch this thing go. They, they just take it. They take a beating and they keep moving, man. Hold my beer. <laughs> yep. Watch this, hold my beer. So we have, we have our Kiwa line. Our, our Kiwa line has a lot of horizontals. Uh, we sell a lot of horizontals for Kiwas. Um, Great little machines. They're they're again smaller, compact. They have the bigger ones, the smaller, compact ones. I think they go up to 15k RPMs. Don't quote me on that. Could be 12. Um, I've never had any issues with the Kiwa either. They're they're one of those machines that, uh, just like an OKK that we also sell. Dude, I've seen people crash them. They just keep moving, and it's it's insane. Like I'm like, ouch! And you get there, and you kind of you know indicate yourself back in, take them up, and they just keep moving, man. They're they're all little workhorses. And, and all the machines that we have, man, that's they're built to last. And that's the nice part about it. Um, going from the Kiwa to the OKK, I watched a guy crash an OKK so hard he cracked the actual frame around the OKK. <laughs> Jeez. We, sold, we then sold it, pretty much gave it to a company like, hey, it's, it's destroyed, but you guys can have it. They rebuilt it, and the thing is still running five years later, no issues. That's impressive. So... Yeah, you mentioned those being workhorses. Um, is the major difference between those two ones horizontal and ones vertical, um, just based on how someone wants to machine, or are there more differences than that? 
There are more differences. Uh, the Kiwa has both vertical and horizontals, and so does the OKK. The OKK also has the 50, 50 taper, uh, which we, you and I did a demo on. You got to see kind of how that cut. Um, both of them, though, they're they're as a unit together. They're they're workhorses. You want to cut aluminum, steel, titanium, whatever you want. They're going to do it. They're just going to eat it, chew it, and spit it out. Um, the OKK, when it comes to its um, uh, framing and everything, man, I I have never ran a more rigid machine than an OKK. Like it just, it, it's insane how hard it can cut the torque behind it. It just smacks into the material and keeps going. Like I said, watch someone destroy a machine, a little bit of rebuild and, and it thinks still off. We didn't have to change the spindle a lot. That was also the crazy part. Spindle was fine. Replaced, replaced a little bit of the crashed area and the thing took off and it's, and it's still running to this day. Um, they're, they're amazing. I would say they're great machines for a shop that wants to get a little higher in the tier but still have those guys that are still making those little mistakes and they're crashing the machine, that would be the machine I would grab then because guess what? I can hit it and it's going to keep going. You know, I'm happy you brought that up because a lot of times I'll share um, rigid cutting videos and sometimes it's focused on the tooling and sometimes it's focused on the machine, right? But almost every single time you got that person or those people that show up and go, well, I see you doing it, but how many times can you do it? Because I know you're burning up that tool. Or I know you're burning up that spindle, right? Obviously, with something like a Kiwa or an OKK, it's going to repeat because it's meant to do that. Now, the tooling, we're not going to talk about the tooling too much. That's up to the tooling guys to sort out. But as far as right. the machine, we know that this thing is, is it's not going to bog down under load. It's going to keep spinning. It's not going to you know burn out whatever's going to burn out on some other machines. These things are built to take a beating, right? Built to take a beating and built to last. Like I said, they that's what they designed it for. You want to take some material hard, fast, let it go. That, that's what it's there for. Um, our Nakamura line is our lathes. I mean, have you ever seen a better lathe than a Nakamura? When someone says lathe, I don't know a single person that doesn't go Nakamura. I mean, the, the Nakamura brand speaks for itself. Yeah, it's in, a in discussion every time. I have to play Switzerland always. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's, my, that's my rule uh, because I value and respect so many companies, machines, people. And honestly, we could find – a different aspect of this industry where every machine has value across the 100%. board. You know what I mean? Absolutely. But, but you're right. Whenever a lathe, whenever someone starts a conversation and goes, well, I'm looking for a quality lathe. Price doesn't matter. I need to get parts that are going to repeat every single time. I'd like to run lights out. There's a short list. And Nakamura is typically on everyone's <laughs> list to look at. Yep. Yeah. And, and, and that's what I tell like Nakamura sells themselves. And I think every, all the sales guys agree. If, if someone comes in, so meth is looking for a lathe and it's going to go knock more. It, it, the brand is always, I mean, I've been in the industry now for 15 years and the first lathe I ever ran was a Nakamura. I've, I've ran others, but I've never ran something better than a Nakamura. Again, this is my opinion. I won't be Switzerland. So. <laughs> you have a customer, I believe, uh, who we, who we spoke with not too long ago that has 12 or 13 of these things now and, and, a short amount of time, maybe less than two years, right? And another one coming, yeah. And another one coming. That's impressive. That's how you know it works, right? Oh yeah, they, yeah. Don't don't fix it if it's not broken. <laughs> and I think that's what Nakamura says when we're like, "Hey, we want to update it." Why? It's like that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> Shut up here. So, so what uh, else do we have? We we've gone through uh, Robo Drill, Kiwas, Nakamuras, OKKs. The my my favorite my favorite line, which is the Yazda. The mother machine is uh, what we call it. So the Yazda is the top tier, I, I feel, in the industry. It's 
it is the machine that Nakamura uses to make their turrets and stuff like that. So it's it's the machine that holds the tolerances. It's not as uh, baby proof as like an OKK, I'd say, right? You crash it, we're gonna have some issues. Let's, let's see what we can fix here. But this is the machine. You want something precise, precision, that's the machine you go to. Not saying you can't crash it, I crashed them. I know for a fact you can. I'm just saying there's a lot more that goes into it to making sure that you didn't hurt the machine because it is holding those micron tolerances. I mean, when you buy buy a Yazda, they send you a micron indicator because guess what? They don't want you using that five tenth, one tenth indicator. They want you using that micron indicator. Um, when I first ran them, I get the you know the pamphlet that was like, oh yeah, you can comp out to the millionth and it moves it, and I'm like, yeah, I'm sure it does, just like every machine, I have, right? So I I think it was my first thread mill. You know, you check it, you're like, ah. It's couple tents right so you give it a couple extra tents because the machine has backlash and all that right every machinist does it and i blew it oversized and i was like well okay no i didn't need a couple tents i did a couple you know millions and so then you had to start using that fifth decimal place which a lot of people aren't used to using but it it, it worked in the machine i took out all the boring bars i hated coming in after a long weekend of running and going into the back of the machine and adjusting boring bars instead of just going up and going five tenths cutter comp or five five millions cutter comp so I took out all the boring bars and went straight circuit circuit interpolation end mills. Um, the Yazda goes from anywhere from they have their VI40, which is their uh, like jig bore machine that holds one arc second, I think, in B and 0.5 arc seconds in C is what we measured on the one that we have here. Um, I think their tolerance is a little higher than that. And that's a nice part of Yazda. They said it holds a second. I guarantee they said it way under, but that's just what they're you know, they're protecting their little cushion. Um, they have their PX30i, which is like their first production machine. It's a 33 pallet machine. It's meant to load it and just, just send it. I ran six of those for three years. And I tell you what, I outproduced every other building in that company with those Yazdas. Precision and just lights out 24 seven, seven days a week. And I'm not kidding you, all year. I was there on holidays. I'd reload, come in. I told my guys, you take the weekends. I'll take all the holidays. I'm cool. And, and we did. And you come in on Saturday for three or four hours. All six machines would be loaded. And then you're done. Machines are going to run through the weekend now. Um, they also have their uh, their smaller taper. I think it's HSK32. It does 40K RPMs. It's not meant for hogging. It's fine finishing, 5,000 step over, something super small, but real nice, small, hard parts. I mean, it just eats it up. And the precision on it, again, back to those arc seconds. It's insane. Well, something you taught me recently, Cody, um, which I thought was incredible, which it was, it was really, you know, back in my days of programming or even back when I was with Air Turbine, you know, something we, one of our selling points of an air spindle was, well, you can run this with no duty cycle, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's not going to heat up. It's not going to thermally expand because most of the machine spindles out there, if you're not paying attention, it's going to heat up and you have to, you know, check your parts every few hours or, you know, longer hours on some cycles and some machines to make sure that it's not changing the tolerance of the machine and growing and shrinking based on the temperature that's around and the temperature of the spindle and how long it's been running, right? Well, recently while talking with you, the Yazda does that all on its own while running and you have been running 80 hour programs simultaneously back to back to back with zero issue. Yeah, the thinking man is a process. <laughs> to say the least it uh it's an 80 hour cycle we're making a bunch of them um so it's been running nonstop. the it has little sensors everywhere that watch the temperature control it and automatically update it the spindle will not run if it's not up to temperature so if i kick it at 
10 grand for five hours. And then I go, Hey, jump up to 30 or 24 K. It's going to go, ah, give me a second. I've been running for 10, 10 for so many hours. I need to get this old oil out, the new oil in and then reheat it back up to where I need to be. And it will, it'll just kind of pause itself, warm itself up and take off and continue. It's, it's very kind of, it's kind of crazy how the machine just does what it needs to do without you. Normal machines have a duty cycle. Like you said, right? I go to this program, I run it and then it's good for the day. It's not really right. Cause throughout the day, you're going to see that little bit of fluctuation. Um, I've lost parts because of another machines where it's like at six o'clock in the morning, I'm making perfect parts come lunchtime. All of a sudden I'm not making perfect parts. I don't, the Yazas I come in, I check the last part that was ran before I go home. I'll check another part. And guess what? It's the same exact part. If I have tool wear, I'll make the comp, but 99% of the time, it's just tool wear. Uh, one last addition I'd like to add to that, that tolerance and running parts is the pallet chain system that you kind of mentioned earlier. Um, a lot of machines have pretty decent tolerances out there, to be fair, you know, from the spindle to the XYZ axis. And it's the pallet change system that kind of needs to be touched off with every change, right? It's that, you know, a probe has to come in and say, okay, well, my accuracy based on my pallet change needs to be within a certain realm or a certain area. With a Yazda, that PX30i you were talking about, it's that even that pallet change is kind of, you know, just really spot on micron style where... Nope. Um, you measure that first one or that third one or that fifth one, you not all of them, but just measure one. And you know that it's going to mimic the rest of the 30 plus parts that come off in the exact same way. Right? Yeah. It's, it makes a good machinist lazy. And that's how I like to say <laughs> the Yazda makes a good machinist lazy. When I, when I first ran it, man, it was like, you're doing all your checks or you're pulling in every pallet, double checking it. And after you do it once, you're like, I don't need to do that anymore. So then you get your next one. You stop doing that. You stop. And all of a sudden you go back to the real world and you're like, oh man, I don't want to have to check 33 freaking pallets, you know, but that's the name of the game. The Yazda makes a good machinist lazy or how, however you want to put it. A lazy machinist is a good machinist because they now know how to make their, their stuff work for them and not working, you know, against, against a machine. And that's why I said I took out the boring bars because I hated coming in every day, adjusting 13 boring bars instead of walking up and hitting two buttons. Like, tell me that wouldn't be easier than having to pull every boring bar back at all, get the back. Like, yeah, I did it for a week and I was like, no, we're not doing this. I went back and I rather, I reprogrammed everything. We're not doing this. Go back, let the machine do what it does. Um, you can even go as far as on all of our machines, buy a probe for it and have the probe comp everything for you. I did that a few times, right? I got so lazy. I got tired of comping it. Just let the machine comp it itself. Well, you know, why do I want to work so hard? Yeah, such an incredible machine, but you guys also have your own line of machines, right? To go along with everything we've listed so far. We do. We have the Methods brand machine. Um, it's a, two years old, I think, two or three years old. Um, I, I've been impressed. It, my first time doing it, I did, I did a robot arm demo on it. The controls of Fanic control, so everyone knows it, everyone loves it. And the ways are all hand scraped, just like the Yazda, the precision on it blew my mind and the price point I, I don't know why we're you know i don't understand why people aren't just gobbling these things up they are great machines so far workhorses i have yet to hurt hurt a machine i have uh i have the we have a 650 i think on our floor that we messed with we've had four demos go through it um bunch of different people touch it i mean the thing is killing it so far i've touched a 450 in boston um, a vertical in Boston as well. And they they all remind me of the old school machines, you know, the 1990s that you touch, 
not the controls. I'm saying just the fact that they're tanks and can kind of take what you want. I have yet to hit something. I've never stalled out a spindle on it. Um, I've taken a cut where I'm like, this probably isn't going to work really well. And it just go through it. The load meter barely spikes. I'm happy. I'm super, super happy with it. We were able to get with um, Taiwan and design this to our specs. That was a nice part about it. So as a whole team, we kind of got together and this is what we want. Pick and choose from all of our other lines. Like this is the machine we want. And that's what we got. You know, you mentioned, I don't know why these things aren't being gobbled up, but I think they will be. I think any mo especially in our industry, it's rare for something to be brand new and everyone goes, well, I want it. No, 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 not in our industry. We got to, we got, we're, we're engineers, right? We got to right. see something work and give it a try ourselves and then try it again and again. And then we got to see somebody else's testimonial and, and see if they're having, so it's, it will, like you said, it's just a couple of years old. I mean, it's just a matter of time. You, you were able to design a la carte, the bits and pieces that you wanted most to go on this machine. And method service is across the nation is oh. amazing. So if you have a new machine and you have the service, you back that machine with the service, keep putting out the demos that you continue to do, Cody, it'll, it'll get, it'll start to get gobbled up. It's just patience and time and, and uh, you know, realizing the industry that we're in, we're not buying sunglasses. We're buying quarter of a million dollar to million dollar machines. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think when someone gets their hand on the methods brand machine, they're going to be very happy and very impressed by, you know, what, how far their money can go with something like that. I agree. I agree. Well, you also are, and, and I might say this wrong. So correct me when, when I say it wrong, not if <laughs> uh, you guys kind of are a fanic house as well. So you do EDMs and you do automation and, you know, all the robotics and, you know, that just, kind of adding to all the machines we just talked about, you can really support, you know, adding on to those machines in a, in a customer or a client's facility. If they have an existing fill in the blank, we'll go with robo drill. You go, hey, by the way, you, you probably want to run lights out now. Let's add a robot. It's not that you have to buy a brand new machine and a brand new robot. You guys do the automation. You can throw in an EDM if somebody needs it. And, and so you offer other parts of the industry for your customers as well, right? Absolutely. Yeah, we're doing I got three robots here currently that we're working on. So one's a one's a track system. So you can just throw your parts on a track and the robot knows where to kind of grab and pick it up. Um, another one you set up. You, there's 30 pallets, I think. And you set the vices up and it goes and kind of just as like it's like a makeshift pallet changer in a sense for like a robo drill. Um, but yeah, we have FANUC robo drills, the, ED, the FANUC EDMs, which again, I think you either run FANUC or you run Siemens pretty much, right? Those are the two controls that people run. And and at least in Arizona, you see more FANUC than anything. So it's it's an easy control and they're all the same, right? You don't go from this machine to this machine and have to figure out a different control, especially with FANUC now that they, they put all their maintenance, or they call it their maintenance, but their legacy controls are still on there. So if you get that new control and you're like, I like the old one better, guess what? Click, click, boom, you got your old controls back and everyone's happy again. So. I, I grew up using FANUC, fell in love with FANUC because that's what I used. I'm not saying any other controls are better, any controls are, but FANUC is, at least in Arizona, I'd say 90% of the shops are using it, 90% of the shops understand it, and that's why that's why we sell FANUC controls. You know, my mind got twisted a little bit the other day when I saw the very first uh, white FANUC, a cobot actually, and I go, 
no, look, wait, what's going on? Why isn't it yellow? I mean, everyone knows it as being yellow. And I saw the oh. first one. I was like, come on, stop pulling my leg. Are you, you're just messing with me just to mess with me, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah, that's the uh, that's the the new cart one, the one that yeah. can roll up on the cart and stuff. Yeah. So that that's new to us as well. We, we have some ideas that we want to kind of package together with some machines that will be coming out soon. Um, that includes the Methods brand along with the robo drills and stuff like that. Well, Cody, I know that you don't have a whole lot to do in between making Thinking Man's and Thor's Hammer and traveling the nation, supporting your customers and emails and all that kind of stuff. So uh, I'm going to you know, keep you on for another two or three hours on this podcast, and we're just <laughs> going to continue to – obviously, we're not. Um, I know you have a lot to do, Cody, and I really, really appreciate your time and sharing your wisdom with our audience. Uh, but I'd like to close out with something I do a lot, and it's just what piece of advice, and, and it kind of tailors to whatever part of the industry you'd like to tailor to, what advice would you offer someone who is looking to get into this industry, is looking to grow within this industry, or even someone who's been here so long that it's now become monotonous and repetitive and, and is looking for a bit of inspiration or hope, just from, from something in your life what can you offer us from your life that's helped you create the success and the happiness that has been generated? That's contagious for someone like myself. That I can, I can feel and reflect every time I'm around you. Um, my, my biggest thing, I think that, that got me where I'm at um, along with what I tell peers that want to grow as well is don't be afraid to try something and, and or crash a machine. Most of the time people, you know, like, oh, I didn't, I didn't touch that because I didn't know what that button did. I'm like, well, I promise you it's not going to self-destruct, right? Go ahead and hit the button. See what happens. The worst thing that could happen is you're going to break that tool. You could crash the machine, right? You have full control. Turn your knobs down, kind of walk you through it. I, try something. Try something new. Go, go and teach yourself. I, I had a kid go, hey, I feel like I'm stuck in, stuck in a hole. I've been machining now for six years. I want to better myself. What do I do? Go take a class. Or better yet, jump on YouTube and learn how to program. Believe me, YouTube goes a long way in this industry. I don't think there's a single person out there that doesn't go to YouTube. I've done it before, I've been like, I haven't done that in years. Quick refresher, that's that's the button I was looking for. I, I have two guys now, two good friends of mine um, that have gone a long way just watching YouTube videos and taught themselves how to program. And I would say, no doubt, they're at my level of programming now with just teaching themselves, you know, six years after programming, now they're in the real world programming, kind of learn. It's nice to program, then you run it. The problem with that is, you know when the mistake is coming. You kind of look at it, you're like, that's not right. So I, I always say, if you're going to start programming, test it yourself, and then hopefully you get the chance to let other people start running your program, because that's when you're going to learn. What do you like, what he doesn't like, what you didn't know, because you're so used to seeing something. So go ahead, don't be scared to try something. Take the time and learn a new skill. I like that. I like that. It's often difficult for people to leave the comfort zone. So um, I, I appreciate that courageous advice. And I hope people listen to it because that is stepping out of the comfort zone is where all the cool stuff happens. Yes, it does. <laughs> well, and the scary you. stuff. <laughs> and, yeah, it definitely starts scary. And then you go, <laughs> well, the thing is, is, is as you, you leave it, it expands, right? As the comfort yep. zone, as you leave it, it continues to expand. So scary becomes normal. I forget where the quote comes from, but it's what's what's normal to the spider is chaos to the fly. And so, you know, as we yeah. keep growing, we keep learning. Absolutely. Well, Cody, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Uh, guys, this is The Gun Show, and we're doing our very best to bring 
machines and artificial intelligence to life by introducing you to some of the most amazing people that are helping us create planes and cars and phones and computers and pretty much everything in our day-to-day lives that we play with. So thank you all for listening. And Cody, stay amazing, my friend. Thanks for having me again, Tony. Always a pleasure, brother.